Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Deck the halls with creasing crimes. Fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be spooky. Fa la 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 la. Oh my! <laughs> Merry Christmas and happy Merry holidays. Christmas. Ho ho ho! <laughs> Merry Christmas. Why'd you say my name? Ho. <laughs> Okay, so you're just going to do dirty to yourself like that. Uh, or both of us. <laughs> anyway, guys, Merry Christmas. I hope your Christmas Eve is going marvelous. Spooky ooky. And spooky and crimey. Oh, not crimey. Nope, not crimey. Anything but crimey. Creepy, and not crimey. Honestly, you don't even want it to be creepy. You want it to be filled with joy. Unless creepy things joy you out like us. Like the weirdos we are, then like that's cool too. That's cool. Anyways, um, so we have a Christmas gift for you. And it's a fact that we got... New mics. So we figured we would test them out by serenading you guys with Christmas songs. <laughs> carols. Scares of Christmas carols. Creepy Christmas carols. Creepy carols. <gasps> Trademark. Trademark. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, tell me some Christmas traditions. So we don't have like any crazy traditions that we do. They're pretty Same. traditional. But um, me and my sisters rotate reading the night before Christmas. And what do you guys read? The night before Christmas. Oh, I thought you meant like we <laughs> rotate reading the night before. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. No, like we do the whole like. Um, not a creature was stirring. Not, not even, even a, a mouse. mouse. All the stockings were hung by the chimney <laughs> with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. I don't know all of that. Oh, I know the entire thing because I've memorized it. But we do that and then we um, make cookies. We set them out for Santa and then we have like the milk out and we do a rain uh, reindeer snack and then we all go to bed and then we wake up the next morning all at the same time i think i pray to god this will be the first year that the little girls don't make us wake up at nine (laughs) since they're not little girls anymore right but we'll see how this goes um and then after that we go over to my now in-laws house and go over there used to we would go to my um nanny and pop-pop's house but now nanny comes over on christmas morning with us now Yep. Love Christmas. So what are yours? Um, We don't really have any, but we usually go to a aunt's house. My mom has a really big family. She's like one of six or whatever. Oh, my God. So we go to one of their houses and our whole entire family gets together and we play games or whatever. And my one aunt, she's like insistent upon us doing crafts. So last year we had like a cookie competition. The year before we had like who could decorate the best ornament. 
whatever. Oh, well, I get really so competitive. Fun. I know you. And are. all my cousins know they're like, oh, you guys have to pick Morgan. I like try to rig like the votes. I'm like, dad. I'm like, dad, put like five in for me. He's like, you got it, sweetie. He like walks over there. He's like, I voted for Morgan's five times. And everyone's like, what? They all get mad at me. But anyway, so then we just go back home and we wake up. And before everybody lived in different states, um, we were just open presents. But now, hmm, yeah. sad. Yeah. But I'm going to Florida this year. I see my brother. So Good. it'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be so much fun. Yeah. So Morgan, what are you drinking? Oh, I am drinking 19 Crimes Wine Revolutionary Rosé. And by now, you guys know who the winner is. So right. you'll get to try it in a few days if yes. you want. If you were the lucky winner. And you have to be 21 and up. So <laughs> so Marshall, if you're listening to this, don't even think about it. And we're checking IDs. <laughs> we're bouncers. <laughs> we're, we're the creepy bouncers. What are you drinking? I am drinking my always, you know what I'm drinking. It is the 19 Crimes Red Blend. 15%? 15% tonight. This oh. is the uprising. With so we're getting drunk. Getting drunk, baby. And I'm on glass too because setting up these mics almost put me into a grave. I do love them. They sound, y'all, we keep pressing pause just so we can hear ourselves talk. <laughs> Although we didn't really want to hear our song more than once. And I'll probably skip yeah. through it when the episode releases. Um, <laughs> I know they miss our songs. They had to have missed our songs. You guys just let us know if you want us to like, you know, we could probably make like a little album for you or something. Camden, hook us up. Yeah, Camden. What do you what do you think about this, man? <laughs> He's always told me I'm just way too much. Because <laughs> I've been trying to sing since I was like five. He's like, I still send him videos of me singing and he'll expose me to all of his LA friends and post it on his Instagram of me singing songs that I'll just like Snapchat him. I'm like, okay. Okay. Done doing that, Cam. All right. Well, here's the thing is I literally can't read, can't sing. I can dance though. No, we can dance. Oh, me and Morgan can effing dance, y'all. And you'll get to see that on Christmas. Yeah, we have ladies poppy. <laughs> <laughs> we have a special video that's going to be coming out tomorrow. We might have to edit the music. No, no, we're leaving the music. They can, if they hear us talk the way they do, then they're going to be okay, fine. You're right. I yeah. don't know if I want it on. Instagram. You cannot miss this. You guys have to go watch. It'll our Instagram only be story on our story for, for 24, 24 hours. hours, and it won't be highlighted. No. It might be highlighted. No, absolutely not. I might <laughs> highlight it. Anyway, guys, um, don't forget to send in your creepy accounts. You remember, those can be literally anything. Um, you can send those in to our email at creepsandcrimesgmail.com. Oh, Creeps and Crimes podcast, podcast at gmail.com. The yep. Twitter's effing me up. I know. Everything was podcast, and now it's like, okay, I'm so sorry. Whatever. I'm going to kill whoever took it. Um, anyways, and then uh, follow us on everything else. And uh, that's our Instagram at Creeps and Crimes podcast, our Twitter, Creeps underscore Crimes. And um, oh, and on TikTok. Okay. Because well, maybe like, that's where that dance will be, too. Well, I like, guys, I made a TikTok like a month and a half ago, and then I just like really fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, whatever. Follow us on everything. I yeah. don't know our TikTok handle, though. I think it's just Creeps and Crimes Podcast. Yeah, I think so. And then my personal is Taylor J with an A. And mine's morg.m, double the G. Double the G, baby. Oh, my back's itchy. I'm always itchy. <laughs> um, yeah, so make sure you guys are subscribing and leaving us reviews and stars, preferably four or five. Um, preferably six, <laughs> if you could. Preferably infinite. Um, as many as you could possibly think of. And then lastly, that's it. 
You ready to do the intro? I'm ready. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. You got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. Also, real quick, I just wanted to give a little birthday shout out to my cousin Camden. So happy 30th birthday. I cannot believe you're 30. It feels like yesterday we were in the sunset pool getting photographed for the Observer Reporter and you're throwing my little eight-year-old body around doing (laughs) tricks and whatever. So... Yes, happy birthday, Cam. Happy birthday, Cam. Thanks so much for all of your love and support that you give the podcast. And also, everybody go follow him. Yes, guys. He's like his own music guy. He's yeah. so cool. He's a great singer. So and he takes out like his music at official Insta Camden. Picks. Yeah, at official Cam- Camden. At official Camden. Yeah. And y'all, his picks are beautiful. Yeah. I mean, what? I mean, do you use a phone? Do you use a camera? I don't know, but why... What happened to me? Let a bitch know because what happened to me? Because his whole entire family is just no. Your gorgeous. entire family is drop dead gorgeous. Oh, you well, are also drop dead gorgeous. Okay, friend. The stick. And also, my mom just had surgery. So, mama, I hope you get well soon. Yes, we tried to call you the other night, but you was sleeping. Yeah, and then I just tried to call her again, and she's not answering. So, whatever. Anyways. <laughs> anyway, guys. So today I am going to. Switch up the conspiracy, especially for my girl Tanya, who's recovering from surgery. So Mm -hmm. I figured she might want a podcast that she actually would like to listen to (laughs) because she hates conspiracy theories. So I'm going to get creepy today. Um, I was originally looking for like a Christmas ghost story, but all I could ever find were like urban legends. They were super short. I didn't think I could give you guys a lot of content with it. And also like the Ghost of Christmas Past by Charles Dickinson or whatever his name is. I'm like, yeah, I'm not telling that. Yeah. Um. So I come across this. It's not Christmas related, but it's a very interesting story. Um, So let me get started. Today, I am going to talk to you guys about the Winchester Mystery House. Woo! Woo! My sources are Wikipedia, (laughs) ScreenRant.com, WinchesterMysteryHouse.com, and That's Why We Drink Podcasts. And I want to give them a lot of freaking credit right now because I have literally (laughs) no idea how they research the way they do, but my God, they have great information. So I just had to incorporate some of that that I wasn't able to find on my own because um, I kind of suck at research. But that's a funny story. We tried to record this like (laughs) two days ago and I come in and Taylor's like, you have to look at this comic I just bought from That's Why We Drink's 200th episode. Mm -hmm. And she gives it to me and she opens the first page. It says the Winchester Mystery House. And I'm like, uh, dude, that's what I'm doing today. And she's like, what? And I literally read the first page and I close the comic book. I'm like, uh-uh, can't do it. Can't record I can't, tonight. We can't record tonight. So instead, we decided to watch a movie, which I'll talk to you guys a little bit about at the end. So let's get this show on the road. Um, this all started in 1839 in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, a woman named, or a baby named Sarah Lockwood Party was born. 23 laters. 23 years later, in 1862, Sarah married a man named William Wirt Winchester. Um, William's father, whose name was Oliver Winchester, was the founder of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company in 1866. Sure, you guys have heard of this company, especially if, well, especially my guys at home. They like to shoot at animals like oh no big big farmers hunters whatever getting off topic anyway this company <laughs> was the most popular firearm production company in the 19th century they funded nearly every major battle or war at the time everybody wanted this rifle especially during the civil war so this created a fortune for the company and the family like i'm talking stupid rich 
Sarah and William went on to have one child. Um, Her name was Anne, sometimes referred to as Annie. Annie contracted an illness at five weeks old known as, I don't know how to say this, um, M-A-R-A-S-M-U-S, Marasmus maybe, and that led to severe malnutrition, causing Annie to die at a very young age. This sent her mother Sarah down a spiral and into severe depression, so they never had any more kids. Shortly after, Sarah's husband also died of pulmonary tuberculosis in 1881, but he wasn't the only death that Sarah had encountered. All within, like, a few weeks, William's father, Oliver, died, and then Sarah's father died shortly after that. So Sarah had inherited the majority of the company along with the majority of the stocks. After her husband's death, Sarah had quickly became become a millionaire because of the company, making roughly $1,000 a day, which is a ton of money in the late 1800s. Oh my God. To be specific, she inherited $20.5 million, which today would be roughly around $550 million. But that wasn't it. The company was still booming, and Sarah was getting $1,000 a day on top of the twenty point five that she inherited. So the $1,000 a day could translate into $27,000 a day today. Um, let me pick my mouth up off the floor. <laughs> Dude, you know what I could do with that money? Oh, I could do so many, so much damage. Yeah, me too. Um, so the grief of losing her husband and daughter was just too much for Sarah, and she started to believe that her family was cursed. At this time, Afterlife had become very popular because of all the deaths from the war. You know, like, I mean, everyone's husband's dying, basically. So I would be like, I need to talk to him still. Right. Whatever. So she decided to visit a psychic medium named Adam Coons. He was the best and maybe the only medium at the time. While talking with the medium, he tells Sarah that your speculation of your family being cursed is accurate And not only are you cursed, but your family is being haunted by every single life that was lost from the Winchester rifle. Y'all, this was the most popular gun in the world at the time. So all of those lives lost during the war went straight after the Winchester family. And who was left of the Winchester family? Sarah Winchester. Oh, poor Sarah. So um, the medium had instructed Sarah to move out west and to build a house. He told her that this will help with the curse. Normal, I think. Get the hell out of Dodge. Maybe they can't find you. I mean, they can find you anywhere, but that would be my thinking of the 1800s. Right. But that's not all Sarah was told by the medium. He instructed Sarah to, yes, build a home for yourself, but also a home for all of the spirits of the people killed by the Winchester rifle. But there was one specific detail, and that was for Sarah to continuously build and to never stop building or she would die. Oh, my God. Yeah. So... This medium told her this would appease those who died because of the firearms her family had profited from. After this, Sarah felt a deep sense of regret and guilt for the lives taken as a result of her husband's company and her father-in-law's company. She then had confirmation that her family and fortune were indeed haunted and that this explains her daughter, husband, father-in-law, and father's deaths. So Sarah decided to listen to the medium, and in 1884, three years after her husband's death, Sarah purchased an unfinished farmhouse, well, what is now the Winchester Mystery House, in Santa Clara Valley in San Jose, California. From then on, Sarah was only ever seen in a long black dress, as if every day was like a literal funeral for her. How sad. This farmhouse sat on six acres of land, and as soon as Sarah moved out there, she 
got to work. She started reconstruction. So she hired an architect at first, but then he was fired almost immediately. And Sarah picked up this role and designed the house from then on. She hired carpenters to work day and night until it became a seven-story mansion. She continually added on to the building haphazardly, putting numerous oddities as if she was instructed to do so by someone or something. So, in the now seven-story Winchester mansion, Sarah built doors that led to walls, staircases that led to ceilings or walls, trap doors, windows on the inside of the home, as in on the inside of the wall, skylights on the floors, chimneys that would stop abruptly in the middle of a floor, cabinets that opened to other rooms, doors on upper floors that led to out the outside with like no porch or anything. So if you were to open it and walk out, you would fall to your death. Um, some floors were slanted. So it was very detailed yet odd design elements. So I kind of want to go through like the facts. Um, the mansion had two basements. It had 47 fireplaces, 10,000 windows, 2,000 doors, 52 skylights, 40 staircases, 13 bathrooms, 161 rooms, 40 bedrooms, two ballrooms, 17 chimneys, three elevators, only two mirrors, and one shower that was custom built to fit her height directly. She had spiderweb designed windows. She was very like adamant about the spiderweb design. Doors to rooms that would like bring you into closets. Doors without door handles on one side. So if you went in, you you couldn't get back out. Um, there was also a seance room that management now today will deny, but historians prove otherwise. The seance room had one entrance door, but three exit doors, and she was the only one that had carried a key to this bedroom or to the seance room. Throughout Throughout the house, you can see the repetition of the number 13. Sarah was obsessed with the number 13, and that's why we drink podcasts really emphasize this. So I'm just I want to mention them again because M had been there. So they were speaking from like firsthand experiences. Mm -hmm. Um. They mentioned that chandeliers usually come with only 12 bulbs, but she would have somebody install an extra bulb on each chandelier, making it 13. The very first entrance hall was divided into 13 sections. Every staircase had 13 steps. Most rooms had 13 walls, which is very weird because your typical room has four walls. Right. Um, How's that even possible? I think just like little like divots. I don't know. Like a gigantic octagon kind of, but well, not that would octagon. be octagon. Double octagon minus you, one. I just mean like the shape of an octagon. I mean, what, <laughs> a what pe- is... A tra- da, da, da. Uh, waiting room music. Tridecagon. Tridecagon. There we go. Tridecagon. Um, so... Every window had 13 window panes. There were 13 windows with 13 candles on each window in the 13th bathroom. Each stair banister had 13 railings. The greenhouse had 13 window panels. Each drain, like a sink, a bathtub, whatever, had 13 holes in it, which that's not typical, so you would have to get that custom built. Yeah. Um, Each ceiling had 13 tiles. The seance room had 13 hooks for her 13 robes. 
Who needs 13 robes, though? Uh, Sarah. Sarah Winchester. She does. So when Sarah died, she had 13 sections to her will, and she signed the will 13 times. So obviously, the number 13 really means something to her. Um, During the time of the build, Sarah would instruct the builders to go home for months at a time in order for her to, quote, rest, and then would bring them back and have them working like day and night. Some speculate that this wasn't the case and that she was just rotating a group of workers. Um, She would come up with a new architect plan literally every single day and would often change a plan shortly after. So if she told them to use like this type of wood flooring and then like the next morning, like, no. Nope. Send it back. Send it back. Order a different one. Right. Um, she had over 40 people employed, and that's not including her construction workers. So the 40 people included or acted as servants, chauffeurs, carpenters, and gardeners. Um, each of these employees had their own offices and their own rooms, and everybody, including the construction workers, got paid double the rate. So these workers were loyal as fuck to Oh, my her. God. I would be, too. Are you oh, kidding me? me, too. They would, like, like journalists would come. They'd never speak a word to the journalists. Like, they would just keep their mouth shut about Sarah. But you have to think, like, at this time, like, they're probably grateful for the work hours that they're getting. Right. You know. Well, and, like, I'm sure it was really competitive to work for her. Like, people were dying oh, yeah, to work for like, Sarah. Oh, yeah, because, like, you're going to be rich. <laughs> yeah, you're literally going to be rich. You're and- getting paid, like, double what you should be getting paid. Right. So, and crazy hours. So. Right. Anyway, just another thing about the house. Um, she had it instructed for a crystal window to be designed so that when sunlight strikes it, and when the sunlight strikes a prismatic crystal, a rainbow goes across the room. So the window was built. It was installed properly. But after further construction, a room blocked the light. So what she paid, like, probably $30,000, right. for was now on an interior wall interior wall in the room with like no light exposure oh no so she probably threw a good bit of money away but um, i'm sure it didn't matter to her right the house was odd yeah she's getting twenty seven thousand dollars a day so yeah she's fine the house was odd you really can't deny that um what started as a small farmhouse on six acres grew into a ginormous mansion that covered the six acres think of a six acre house like if you have any knowledge of how large one acre is like just Just imagine. So Yeah, that's crazy. Many people believe that it was the spirits who were giving her these elaborate designs to build in the home. Some say that it was like the good spirits trying to protect her from the bad, creating kind of a maze so that they could not like never find her or get to her. Because like spirits, you know, go through doorways and well, I hate if they go through a doorway and there's a wall there, they're gonna be like, Oh shit. Right. I don't know. confused well, <laughs> what's I, going on <laughs> what i hate for her is that that beautiful window got covered i can't stop thinking about that because when i had someone come cleanse and bless the house that we moved into there's about i have a lot of windows in this house but there's this one hallway and it's the only hallway that leads to the freaking attic mm-hmm. and she told me she was like you're gonna need to get a light prism for this that will move that light that in. you've been looking for since. right i have been looking all over for these y'all see it tag her ass yeah if you see me if you see one tag me in it because i they're always sold out always sold out i just came across this post the other day and it was sold out <sighs> damn anyways yeah but it's but it's really good for people that have like a lot of spirits with them because what it does is it radiates the light that you choose to like white light whatever mm-hmm. so it's good in a house that's really active paranormally too Mm-hmm. 
All right, keep going. Sorry. So towards the end of her life, Sarah developed arthritis, and she had all the stairs reconstructed so that they were smaller because, you know, arthritis affects the joints, and that's painful. So that way she could still go up and down the stairs. Um, She also had this place called the fire room that when her arthritis was acting up, she could go and sit in, and the heat would kind of loosen up her joints and whatnot. So that's whatever. So. In 1906, after a very large earthquake hit San Jose, um, Mrs. Winchester was trapped in her bedroom after being removed by a crowbar and other tools by her employees. They decided that they needed to tear down the top three damaged floors, making the home four stories instead of seven. So if you go to look at it today, there was only four stories there. Sarah took this as a sign that the spirits were still mad at her, so she ordered that the floor of her bedroom, whatever floor that was, floor four, um, to be sectioned off. After this, she moved 30 minutes away, but she would come back every day still with new plans for the construction team to, like, start building. She would come back with a new room for them to build. So come 1922, Mrs. Winchester died in her sleep in her home due to a heart failure a few hours after her last seance. And after her death, construction was immediately stopped. Um... Appraisers kind of considered the house worthless because of the unfinished design, the impractical nature of the construction, and the earthquake damage, but it still sold for $5 million at the time. My Um, God. Relatives believe that Sarah hid most of her money in safes in the construction, like within the walls, like in whatever, whatnot. I'd be breaking down every damn wall. So after her death, they came in balls blazing and tearing down walls to look for Sarah's money. Um, They found a few safes, and one was just, like, locks of hair and obituaries, and it's believed to be, like, her father's hair and her daughter Anne's hair. Mm -hmm. Um, They also found a safe filled with wool underwear. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Wool underwear? Yeah, I'm not really sure where that comes from, but... um, I can't even wear wool socks without sweating my dick off, so I couldn't imagine. In California? No, no, not for me. (laughs) What the fuck? Y'all, I can't... I mean, maybe it was coming from, like, New Connecticut, or New Haven, Connecticut, or Boston, whatever. I don't know, man, because y'all, just, like, a little segue away for just two moments when me and morgan lived together um me and that other uh, our other roommate noodle madison we would get in like straight up arguments about the thermometer like or not thermometer the thermostat so how it worked was like taylor's bedroom was closer to the inside of our building and me and noodle's bedroom was closer to the outside, the outside of the building so taylor's room would get like hot as Fuck. <laughs> like but, steamy. But our room, so I mean, it was kind of reverse. I guess, like, it, honestly, in the summertime, my room was pretty hot because yeah. the windows, because we had really large windows right. in our room. But come wintertime, they were cold. Y'all but were Taylor freezing. was roasting her dick off because <laughs> we would crank the heat up. And Taylor's like, guys, I'm sweating every night. I have like five box fans in the room. Not really. I'm but like, she always had naked. the box fans. <laughs> So, yeah, there was a few. I would wake up in puddles. And if you know me at all, you know I'm already – it could be literally 30 degrees outside. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. It's so hot. I walked in her house the other day. I'm like, I'm freezing. She's like, seriously, I'm sweating my dick off. I'm like, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Back to the story. Um, So, okay, yeah. (laughs) Only five months after Sarah's death, the family immediately turned it into a tourist attraction. So five whole months, they got what they wanted out of it. Turned into a tourist attraction, and the family sold it to, like, a tour company. 
currently the home is owned by Winchester Investments, LLC. Um, so I know what you're all thinking. Is it freaking haunted or not? Is what it? do you think, Taylor? Oh, I, you know what I think. I think it Duh, is. It's haunted. So let's <laughs> of course. talk about that. I'm going to kind of just like blurt out some facts. So there was a bell tower that Sarah would ring servants in. Um, back then, people would hear it ring at midnight and 2 a.m., and at this time, that's when Sarah would be doing her seances and she would ring the bell to like say goodbye to the spirits, have them exit the whatever, a reality, whatever, however it goes. You know more about that than me. Yeah. Um, but today, people still hear the bell ring only at midnight and 2 a.m., which Ooh. is, again, is the same exact time that Sarah would ring the bell. Right. Um, there's an organ in the house that does not work. But tourist groups play or hear it playing, and even neighbors hear the organ playing. Ooh, I would love um, to be a neighbor there. That'd be cool. There are three types of hauntings at the estate that I kind of want to go over. So the first is residual hauntings. These are often like a spiritual playback stuck on repeat. So like a moment from the past that's on a video loop kind of thing. Think of it like that. Yeah. So reported in the grand ballroom and often the basement of the state is the famous wheelbarrow ghost that's working on the fireplace or he's pushing his wheelbarrow that's full of ash or coal around so this ghost is named clyde but what's different about him is that people mistake him as a real person working he has like no ghostly figures at all so people as in tourists they often see clyde wearing overalls and a victorian boat hat after tours people will make comments like hey we really like the actor who was repairing the ballroom fireplace like while wearing the white overalls management is kind of like right so we okay. didn't hire an actress we're like that's super cool yeah that's really like, glad that's what you thought yeah really glad that that you didn't think you didn't go straight to a ghost but clyde is spotted a lot and the story of how they know he is a ghost is that after, like, one of the first few sightings of him, they were searching through, like, just some rummage or whatever, and they found a photograph from Mrs. Winchester's time and a freaking guy in white freaking overalls and a matching description of the ghost Clyde was found. Uh, really? From her time. So then they were like, holy shit, like, that's a ghost. Yeah, that's, that's not a, a real ghost. fucking person. So that's first. The second is intelligent hauntings, and these are more of, like, the spirit trying to interact with the living world. So these are often gentle tugs on shirts and skirts during the tours, um, thumping, doors opening and closing, windows shattering on their own. Ooh. Um, a longtime maintenance worker named Denny one morning reported that he had heard footsteps above him. He went to the next floor in an attempt to let the person know, like, yo, you're trespassing. This is off limits. Police are going to be called. Right. But the footsteps were always... One step ahead of him and one floor above him. Ooh. And remember, this house is a maze, guys. So he continued to go up floors following the sound until he ended up on the roof and nobody else was there. So that just Ooh. kind of like proves like the, you know, the footsteps. Yeah. The third are shadow figures. This is like the most popular. So it's pretty transparent, a shadowy human-shaped manifestation that's visible to the human eyes. That's what a shadow figure is. Um this is the most common sighting at the Winchester Mystery House. Shadow figures are often reported seeing turning like corners in the house at the end of a long hallway or they're appearing in windows of photographs. A former marketing director took a picture in 2015 that looks to be like a human-shaped shadow that's looking out into the gardens. Some speculate it's just a reflection of the clouds because it is like a white shadow. 
But if it's a reflection of the clouds, don't you think the window right next to it would be matching it? Exactly. Exactly. So I don't know. Maybe I'll post it for you guys. Um, People see a small woman dressed in black near the garden. And a lot of people also report seeing Sarah Winchester's ghostly figure, like up and around the house Mm. constantly. So a tour guide that worked there, she kind of described her experience. And I found this on reddit.com. So she said, (laughs) so she said that starting out, you get a week to explore the mansion on your own. So you need to just become familiarized and you know, have time to do whatever you want to do. So the eerie things that happened to her at her time there was while in the 13th bathroom, again, this is the thir- the 13th bathroom with the 13 windows and the 13 candles. Right. Um, she was with a tour group of 27 people. The tour was interrupted by a very faint shriek that sounded as though it was coming down the halls from the back staircase. She had froze and asked if anybody else had heard it, and they did. During her second day of training, She thought she had heard footsteps, and at the same time, she saw, like, a shadowy figure creep kind of in the corner of her eye behind her. At the time, she was walking up an extremely narrow staircase, so she started to run up the stairs, and the footsteps that she had heard started matching her rhythm of running directly behind her, as if it was chasing her. And when she reached the stairs, she quickly turned around, and she saw nothing. She also reported during her tour groups that photographs would fall off extremely high shelves in the ballroom and would just shatter. And that anytime anyone entered Mrs. Winchester's bedroom, they would smell roses, which there was no roses in there. So at least she's a nice ghost. It gives you good smells. <laughs> um, in 1975, a reporter went into the se- seance room. Um, a person in there, this is the story that you were actually talking about. Taylor knows a lot about the story. So a person that was in there with them had, while they were doing, what they were doing a seance, right? Yeah. Um, had aged right in front of their faces, like, grew. Or was it a seance or was it just a? An investigation. It was just yeah, like an investigation. investigation. Yeah. But they were in the seance room. And yeah. the person that was in there with them um, just aged, guys. Like, she grew wrinkles. Right. Her hair changed. Her hair color changed. She had body aches, body, like, stabbing pains. And she passed out. But right before she passed out, she yelled, help me, somebody get me out of here. Thank you. That's why we drink podcasts for that. <laughs> yes. So that's kind of freaky. That, Ooh. Like, do you think that it was like, the only thing I can think of is like the hair changing the wrinkles is like Mrs. Winchester. I don't know. Well, I'm like, yeah, Mrs. Winchester like took over her to like speak. Mm-hmm. But that's crazy because it's almost like a possession, but at the same time, obviously like the spirit left changing yeah you know? that yeah possession like literally everything about you changes when you're possessed but crazy. they pulled out of her so that's what makes me think it was a nice ghost like mrs winchester mm-hmm. but like you know what blows my mind about what you might talk about later is her like goal with this house was to help these spirits, spirits. cross right so why why wouldn't she cross herself? Would she want to, like, in her life goal of helping all of these people cross? I think that... Or is it I protection? I think that she's staying there for protection for anybody that goes into that house. Right, but I just hate that bad. she's not with right. Annie and her husband. Right. You know? Yeah. So my last little take is that um, a paranormal investigator, he was kind of just walking down a hallway when he heard screws 
well, it sounded like something being unscrewed out. Like someone was like, I don't know, turning a screw out of the right. wood or whatever. And a few minutes later, three freaking screws fell from the ceiling. No. So today, owners and workers are still discovering new rooms in the house, new attics, new new little like crawl spaces and stuff that they hadn't known existed. Um, my take on the Winchester Mystery House is kind of what we were just talking about, is that the architecture was done so sporadically in order to keep ghosts out of certain areas, like the door opening to a brick wall, staircase leading to nothing. I think Sarah was, in fact, extremely haunted by certain spirits and continually kept building in order to try to find her own piece of privacy, but the spirits had never stopped coming. Um, Some facts I can give you guys real quick is that... The Winchester House was Disney's inspiration for the Haunted Mansion. Aww. Um, the name Winchester Mystery House was decided by Houdini. Oh, my God. Houdini? Yeah. And he was, like, big shit back then. So yeah. kind of cool. It's um, Houdini. 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 So, another fun fact. you guys, I know everybody that's listening has been to a Ripley's Believe It or Not, but Robert Ripley was the first to see it after oh. it became an attraction. So... Of course he would be. I don't know, guys, but that's the story of the Winchester Mystery House. Um, the Winchester Mystery House currently provides tours to the public, but it's closed because of COVID. Mm. But you can go online to winchestermysteryhouse.com and you can do like an immersive 360 degree digital tour of the entire house for only $9. I was kind of thinking about like doing this, but then I was like, what if the spirits haunt me for like still giving them money? <laughs> you know? I think that they're going to be fine with you giving them money. <laughs> I don't know. Or actually, they're gonna be pissed because they're trying to be in around people. Yeah, but it's an online tour. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Can they, they like no, no, it's the like a three sixty five thing. Yeah, no, they can't. Okay. Well, they probably can. Um, That's a lie. We know that they can firsthand. Actually, let me yeah. just take that back. So you can watch episodes of it on Ghost Adventures season five, episode eight, um, Ghost Hunters season two, episode eleven, and there's even a movie on Netflix called Winchester, and it is freaking good. So y'all, it's so good. Y'all will have to go watch it. Like, honestly, maybe as soon as you get home today, I think they did a really great job depicting the story of Sarah Winchester. I don't know how much of it is factual information. I think a lot of it is pretty relative. But, like, the whole storyline is basically, like, this doctor was sent there to, like, establish, like, her sanity. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. Me and Taylor watched it, and we were (laughs) screaming. It is a horror movie, but, like, it's... I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it was really, really good. Actually, I think I've recommended it to about five people now. Oh, shit. Yeah. Did you tell them it was a horror movie? No, I was like, you just have to watch it. Just watch it. Yeah, so you guys should go check that out. Check out the Ghost Adventures. Check out the Ghost Hunters. Check out the online tour. la da 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 And that's all I have. Taylor, what you got? Okay, Morgan, I love that one so much. Yay. Thank you for that. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Y'all want to do a virtual tour with your family? Hit them up. Hit them up. All right. (laughs) So, um, and I think I'll link that in the description. So today I'm going to bring everybody's mood down from that awesome story to a, um, a holiday murder. Yay. Um, but <laughs> right. Uh, just a trigger warning before I get started. This does have to do with a child. So, um, if that's something you don't want to listen to, then just skip over me. All right. Um, so I'm just going to leave then. Yeah. You can step out. <laughs> yeah. All right. So today I'm going to be doing the story of Janelle Matthews. Um, my sources are Wikipedia. Oh, sorry. We love that bitch. We do. Um, <laughs> Crime Junkies podcast, the Greenlee Tribune, 
uh, I'm sorry, not Green Lake, Greeley Tribune, New York Times, the Denver Post, Reddit, of course. Um, and I think a few others, which if I, yeah, I might add those at the end. Anyways, so I just want to start off by telling you guys, um, I wanted to us to get in the same headspace of what time of year this was, especially for a little girl. Okay. Okay. So it's literally five days until Christmas. There's snow outside and it's so cold that you have to have a heater by you at all times when you're on the couch, the fire rolling, Christmas movies on repeat. The Christmas tree is just glowing the warmest and the happiest light. There are only like two days left until Christmas break for school. There are lights all over the city and it's 1984. So I think I like to think that Christmas back then was even better than it is now. Like snowball fights with your neighbors, homemade cookies, hot cocoa by a fire, looking at the stars at night, just praying to God that you see Rudolph's red nose bouncing through the sky and hear Santa say his famous line from the night before Christmas, Merry Christmas to all and to, to all a good night. good night. So are we here? We're here. All right. You Let me ruin it for you. Um, so Janelle Matthews was a 12-year-old little girl who lived with her father, Jim, her mother, Gloria, and her big sister, 16-year-old Jennifer, in Greeley, Colorado. On Thursday, December 20th, 1984, Janelle begged and begged her parents to let her go to school that day, despite the fact that she had been sick the days prior. This was a Thursday. So that entire week, she had to miss school because she was sick. So she begged and begged to go all day, and her reasoning for wanting to go to school is that she had made all of her friends little homemade gifts that she wanted to take to them for Christmas, and there was literally only one day left, or two and days left. the last few days before Christmas break is awesome. You get to drink hot cocoa, you right. pajama day, you watch the Polar Express. Right, and so she's just like dying to go, and on top of that, she had a choir performance that she could not bear missing after school that day. So if she missed school today, she wouldn't be allowed to perform with her friends. So her mom finally goes in and agrees to let her go, but only if right after the concert, she returned home and went straight to bed. All right. This made Janelle sad, obviously, because she so badly wanted to go to her older sister's basketball game that evening. And she was, but she wasn't going to complain, obviously, because she was getting to get to go to her choir concert and see yeah. all of her friends. Janelle went to school that morning, then came home after school to change into her choir clothes. Today was very busy for the Matthews family, not only because it had been the five days away from Christmas, but on top of that, it was Janelle's choir concert and Jennifer's basketball game. But Gloria, their mother, was actually flying from Colorado to California that evening to be with her parents because her father was very ill. So, Jim... Her father dropped, um, with Janelle in the car, dropped Gloria off at the airport, and then those two went to go get dinner together. After dinner, Jim dropped Janelle off at her concert and then headed to the high school to go watch Jennifer's basketball game, meaning no one from Janelle's family was going to be at her concert that night. This wasn't a big deal at all for Janelle. She completely understood and wasn't upset after, um, because she was going to get to go to her concert, obviously. Anyway, so after the concert, she walks out from the bank. This, the bank was at, a, the concert was at a bank. She walks out with her best friend, Deanne Ross. Okay. 
She ran up to Deanne's father's car and asked if he could drop her off at her house on the way home. Deanne's father, his name was Russ, said of course, and they arrived at the Matthews house approximately around 8.15 p.m. When he pulled up to the house, Chanel said thank you so much and goodbye before walking up to the house, turning on the lights, indicating that she got in safely. Then, Russ and Deanne were pulling off, but Russ noticed something that kind of threw him off. It wasn't something that alarmed him, but it just threw him off is that the garage door was left open. And this was really out of character for the family because whenever they were gone, they would put the garage down or like asleep. Or if they're at home, they would leave it up. So people knew that they could come like they were home. You can come knock on the door. So he didn't think anything of it. He just was like, that's not like them. Maybe they just forgot. Okay. So This is what we know. Janelle got in the house safely. And we know that she was moving around throughout the house because at 8.30 p.m., the house phone rang and Janelle answered. The person calling was a teacher from her father's school. He was a principal. And so they were letting him know that the teacher was sick and that she would not be able to make it into work tomorrow. Therefore, he needed to find a substitute. Janelle writes this down and sticks a message on the family message board that was right above the phone. And it seems that after this, Janelle just like kicked her shoes off, put on her slippers, got a blanket and a space heater, pulled it up beside her on the couch, turned on the TV and cuddled up with a blanket. At 9.30 p.m., her father, Jim, returns home from Jennifer's basketball game. When he pulls in, he notices that the garage door is open. Jim Matthews walks inside and he sees that the TV's on. He sees Janelle's shoes on the floor. And a message that she had taken an hour earlier. And it just looks like she ran into the other room. So he starts calling her name. No response. Jim's trying to be reasonable with himself. So he's like, okay, her slippers are gone. So maybe she just like ran across the street to see one of her friends and she'll be right back. But she was a pretty punctual little girl. Like she understood that it was a privilege to go to school that day. And so that was kind of out of character for her. He doesn't really think anything of it, so he's like, you know, I'm concerned, but, you know, she'll be back. So he decides to use this time with both of the girls gone to wrap some Christmas presents. He didn't turn on the TV, the radio, anything. He just wrapped in silence so that way he could hear when Janelle got home. So now it's 10 p.m., the door opens, and he realizes that it's Jennifer getting home. And so he asks Jennifer, do you have Janelle with you? And she's like, no, I don't. So he's like, okay. It's been too long. So he calls his best friend slash pastor. His best friend was his pastor and asks if he is overreacting since his wife isn't home and, you know, he's at home by himself with the girls. And his friend's like, um, no, hang up the phone right effing now. And he didn't say that because he's a pastor. And he's <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, call 911. So at 1015, the police arrive at the family's house and the police get there and they are immediately concerned. But what is crazy, though, is that she made it home. She made it to safety, which is home. And was there for an hour. Right. So why would she leave, you know, or did someone grab her from the house? So as the night goes on, more and more police arrive to the house and they're looking around at the house and in the snow. And apparently this is some like mixed reports, but I've seen on some of these is that um, they spotted some shoe prints around the house and there's talk of like a missing gas can. Okay, but this was nothing that was ever big. Okay, so a little after midnight, a call comes through to the house, and this call is heartbreaking. It's Gloria, and she's calling to let her husband know that she made it 
to her parents' house safely. She landed, got to the house, and Jim has to tell his wife everything about what's going on. And she said, I know in my heart of hearts that something is not right. So a few hours later, it's very, very early in the hours of literally the the 21st at this point. And we're in Greeley, Colorado in 1984 and the FBI comes and they're doing an intense search of this area. Okay. And I'm talking like probably like 4 a.m. Okay. So they're interviewing a lot of people, literally everybody that could possibly have ever had any communication with Janelle that day. And a reward fund begins growing in the search of Janelle begins. Okay. Honestly, because of the major lack of evidence in this case, we are coming to a screeching halt way faster than you would like when your child's missing. Okay. And at this time, there are only two suspects in the case. Jim Matthews, Janelle's father, because he was the last person in their family to see her and he was the first one home, not to mention the fact that he was being a little too calm for the investigator's liking, but at the same time, you have to think like he's a principal, so he's used to like crazy shit happening, you know? Number two is going to kind of shock you. Janelle's mother, not Gloria. Janelle was adopted. So her biological oh, mother, right. Her biological mother's name's Terry um, Vieira Martinez. Janelle has had been adopted when she was just a baby. She had known her entire life that she was, her parents were not her entire, you know, her biological parents. Right. So she knew she was adopted. Janelle was actually born to a 13-year-old girl. Her mother was 13 when she gave birth to her, and she was given up for adoption in Los Angeles, California, and placed in the care of the Matthews family just days after birth. So who could have done this? Because in my head, I'm like, absolutely not her father. Her father, there's like, people saw him. Right. Exactly. And this girl at the time, she's what, 25? The mother would be 25 years old. Right. right And she doesn't even really know where her baby is, you know? So it's obvious that you someone don't have Facebook, you don't have right. Google, but like, how would her mother, who's not here and like literally not in the same state, know that Gloria is gone and that Janelle was at home alone that night? Right. No one knows There's that. No way. Literally, v- very, very few people would even think that. You know. So they had to know her well enough to A, get in the house, or at least be like a good friend of the family to know how to get into that garage. And know that Gloria's gone. Right. So Christmas came and went, and then New Year's with Janelle's Christmas presents still wrapped in underneath the tree. Oh, yeah. And then February 9th comes, which would have been Janelle's 13th birthday, which makes me sick to my stomach because Phoebe's 13. You right. know, I couldn't imagine. So instead of having a cake and balloons like they normally would with a big celebration, the community came together and orchestrated one of the largest searches in Colorado history for Janelle. Yet nothing at all ever was reported. The FBI secretly watched Janelle's biological mother very closely for six entire months. And through this, they were able to completely rule her out. She literally had no idea where or who Janelle was. Right. So they didn't even talk to her. They were just like watching her from afar. 
Jim and Gloria did everything within their power to get their child home safely. Everything in the book, y'all. Like, I'm talking milk cartons. She was one of the first missing children to ever be featured on a milk carton. And I got that fact from Creeps, um, sorry, not Creeps and Crimes, <laughs> um, <laughs> Crime Junkies podcast. Um, they did interviews, ads, posters, flyers, everything that you can think of. But still, the FBI was not letting up on Jim. So the FBI brings him in for two different polygraph tests, both of which he passes. And at this point, he's like becoming angry. Yeah, and he's like, too. yeah, he's like, stop focusing on me because I'm telling you, honest to God, hand on the Bible, I did not kill my daughter. Someone is literally on the loose that did this, and I refuse to let another day pass without hunting her kidnapper. I would be throwing tables at that point. That's what I'm saying. Like, you're so frustrated because you're like, I know I didn't do this. Why are you looking at me? You're letting this go on longer. Right. Right. So this case obviously goes cold. Janelle's Christmas gifts were eventually donated um, on Christmas of 1985, so a whole year later. Mm -hmm. And each year, more and more hope was lost. What happened to Janelle Matthews? Eight years later, in 1992, from 500 miles away in South Dakota, the Greeley police receive a phone call from a local police department, and they tell investigators that a man was arrested in the murder of another child. And when searching his home, they found newspaper articles and clippings of hundreds of missing and murdered children. One of the photos was of Janelle Matthews. Unfortunately, this man was completely ruled out because there was no possible way that he could have been in Greeley, Colorado at the time of Janelle's disappearance. So what? He just had like an obsession? He just was obsessed with missing kids. So another dead end. And in 1996, the Matthews family received a letter in the mail from Terry Vieira Martinez, Janelle's birth mother, requesting a meeting with her daughter. Yeah. So... As long as her parents would approve of it. Gloria got into contact with her birth mother and told her everything that has happened. And so when the FBI was watching her, she had no idea. She has that no FBI idea. Was watching her. She didn't find out until 1996 that her daughter was missing. Yeah. So Gloria had like called her and like I was listening on Crime Junkies and I can't remember which host it was, but she was saying, like, I have adopted children and I'm adopted. And she was like, I couldn't imagine. Oh, I'm going to cry talking about it. Mm-hmm. She's like, I couldn't imagine having to call the person that trusted me with their child because they couldn't raise them. And, you know, I'm here and I've something's happened to them. She's like, mm-hmm. I, you know, it feels different, even though they're your child. Like, you know, that a piece of their heart is also in somebody else's. And like as a mother, as a woman in general, like you understand that connection. Yeah. So. It's horrible. Sorry to cry. Um, Anyways, so this was very, very hard for Gloria to do, but they did what they had to do. So Gloria and Jim eventually retired in Costa Rica, but that never stopped them from praying and hoping that she would come home one day or that her remains would be found. Costa Rica. There was literally nothing. Yeah. They just had to get the hell out of the U.S. at this point. Until December 2018, when the Greeley Police Department decided to reopen the case, and apparently some information came through about people in the Greeley community that actually knew about what happened to Janelle and never, ever came forward. What the fuck do you mean they right. knew? They, no one ever talked about it for years. So apparently they had a tip, and it had something to do with the choir concert. So the police recover some footage and put this footage out for everybody to see. 
And Morgan, I'm going to show it to you, but it's really crazy. So I'm going to show this to Morgan and then we're going to hop back on here and discuss it. Do you want to just... Okay, so... You describe the video real quick. So I'm going to link this video for you guys to see, but what's crazy to me and a lot of people on Reddit is this... Okay, so, well, first off, it's video footage of, like, a classic Christmas, you know, thing. You know, it's, like, everybody... They're on a stair banister. It's in a bank, so it's, like, they're on this, like, stairs, and then below the stairs are, like, the altos, so, like, the boys and sopranos are up high, and... um. And they're all like in their Christmas outfits and they're singing and you can hear like the people playing the jingle bells and stuff. And my first question to Taylor was, wait, yeah. were her parents there? Yeah. And Taylor's answer was no. No. Remember, Gloria's gone and, and Jen's out to the basketball game. The whole entire video is focused in on Janelle. On Janelle. The entire time. Like zoomed in. And when we say zoomed in, y'all, like the second video, that the second link, which I'll differentiate them between one and two um and video number two the video is like so centered on her and then it backs up and you can see just how close it is but on reddit and a few different people that are having these conversations are like why is this a dead center on her but then at one point you see her make this like face at someone in the crowd. Like a goofy, embarrassing kind of face. Yeah, it's like, like, like she like throws her head back and like makes like a... Like the face you would make with towards your parents. Right, like someone that you knew. So, as Morgan said, let me remind everybody, her family is not there. Nobody is there. It is just her. So who is videoing her this close? Right. Zoomed in. So... And she knows them. Right. So even with all of the hope, all of the new leads, the fresh eyes on this case, it still goes cold. And this is 2018. 2018. So another few months go by, and Jim and Gloria decide to move back to the States to be with their other daughter, Jennifer, in Washington while she raises her family. And this is when they get a call. In mid-2019, so last year, Jim and Gloria Matthews receive a call from the Greeley Police Department. Janelle Matthews' body has been recovered. 35 years later, in July of 2019, workers were digging an oil pipeline in a field out in the middle of nowhere, 18 miles south of Greeley, when they come across the remains of a body in a shallow grave. (sighs) The body was recovered in the same exact clothing that Janelle Matthews went missing in on the day of her concert. On September 13th, 2019, by the way, the outfit you just saw her in. Yeah. Um, on September 13th, 2019, Greeley Police Department announced that they have a person of interest. Okay. Now, here I want to specify the difference between a person of interest and a suspect. suspect. They're very, very different. A person of interest is someone that you're like lightly looking at, but you wouldn't consider them a suspect, which is a suspect is, is that you have a, you have a basis amount of evidence and motive to know why they would want to kill this person. Okay. Right. So. This person is 69-year-old Steve Pankey. He was a former Greeley resident who um, lived only four minutes away from Janelle's house. And what's weird is he had been putting himself in the case 
from early on, multiple times. Calling, asking questions about it, offering if he could give anything about it. Didn't raise any red flags back From day one. He claims that he had never, ever met anybody from the Matthews family. And on the night of Janelle's disappearance, he was at home with his son and his wife packing for a trip to go see his family for Christmas. And he makes a comment in an interview um, about how his car was packed to the brim with presents and luggage in the driveway that night. So he says um, on the night of December 20th, when she went missing, he was looking out his uh, out of his window watching the snow fall. And he was like thinking like, oh, my God, like, I hope it doesn't get too bad because we're going to need to drive out of here. And we only have a um, two wheel drive car. So. When he's doing this, he claims that a car pulled into his driveway with the headlights on. And what he says is crazy because he said to the interviewer, I thought to myself, not another arbitrary charge coming my way. What? What does that even mean? Why would would that? So basically mean just like like a a smaller charge, like you being accused of something. And he's like. I'm like, what? What? Why would that be your first thought when someone, just like a regular car, pulls into your driveway? Right. In my your head, first like, thought, police. I, yeah, I'm thinking like, um, who the hell's in my driveway? Or is that Morgan? Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, I'm not thinking, you know, or maybe someone just turning around. You know, I'm not thinking this is the police right. coming to charge me with something. So basically, what he's saying is that he had a weird relationship with the Greeley Police Department. And he claims is because that he had a lot of, um, and this is his exact words. I'm not saying that it's right. He says because I had a lot of homophobes, I mean a lot of homos in my family, and the Greeley Police Department were homophobes. So apparently he had a gay uncle that was murdered by the police department, and apparently this police department, like, I mean, you know, obviously they were shitty and were like homophobes, and. But that's literally not it at all, okay? Like, let me really tell you why he was he has a bad relationship with the police. Is that in the 70s, he was a youth pastor at a church. And just for future reference, this is the same exact church that the Matthews family went to. So he was a youth pastor at this church. And there he was accused of rape. And he lost his position within the church. There are multiple other charges for harassment and a few other ones about, like, attempted kidnapping and stuff, but he was never, ever put away. He got out of all of these charges. He said, whoever was in his driveway sat there for a little bit before turning the lights back off, their lights off. So apparently they were off when they pulled in. Then he, they turned the headlights on and then they turned them off and pulled out and it's nighttime and it's snowing. Okay. What the hell? Mm -hmm. So, and then drove away. He claims that at 4 a.m. on December 21st, uh, 1984, he and his family, so 4 a.m. was the same exact time that the FBI came into Greeley, Colorado. He claims that he and his family got up and got an early start on their drive to California to be with his family. And they returned to Colorado on the 26th, so the day after Christmas. So he is basically saying, like, he had no knowledge of what was going on. Yeah, and he said one specific thing that he said, which this is interesting and it comes back later in the case, is he says that the entire ride there, that he had been, like, in an argument or something with his wife or his son or something, so they, like, didn't listen to the radio, they didn't listen to anything, they just drove in silence the entire Mm -hmm. way there. So, 
They returned to Colorado on the 26th, so the day after Christmas, and he says on the 27th, his father-in-law, who he has had a not great relationship with, came over to their house and had a story to tell him. Basically, he says that his father-in-law showed up to his house, who is a groundskeeper at a, groundskeeper at a cemetery, and he says that the Greeley, this is what his father-in-law supposedly said. He said that a Greeley police officer came to the cemetery with a body that needed to be buried in a casket. And he said if he didn't, it would look bad for Steve. To which Steve tells the interviewer that the first question that he asked his father-in-law after hearing this wild story is, are you wearing a wire for the police? And then his father-in-law just turned around and left. So Steve was stunned, and he called his lawyer, who advised him to immediately call the FBI. Due to the issues with, because of, you know, his issues with the Greeley Police Department. So he just immediately called the FBI and made this statement. So obviously the FBI is like, okay, well, what's your connection? Like, you know, why are you calling? Like, can you tell us? So apparently they looked into this as a thing, you know, not a really big thing, obviously. But it was big enough that the FBI was like, hmm. Let me write this name down. So this is me going back to how he had been putting his nose in the case from day one. The man fucking called the FBI. He literally called the FBI to make this tip, okay? And, and there's hours and hours of interviews with him that you can go and listen to. And they're just not – they don't sit well at all. They're just weird. He's like – one thing that he specifically said is in this one interview, he's talking and he's like – Oh, he said that he didn't hear about the murder until when they were driving back from um, California. And he heard about it on the radio. And he said and it was major because it was the first little girl that he had heard of in that area that had been murdered. And then he corrects himself because, y'all, at this point, the body had just been recovered. I mean, the body hasn't even been recovered yet when this interview is taking place. So he's saying that she had been murdered. So she's only missing at this point in time. Not even murdered. So that's just another red flag that went up. So another thing is, is as I told you before, in 2018, or I'm sorry, 2019, when they recovered the body, they named him, or they named a person of interest, okay? Not a suspect. In this interview post-recovery of the body in another interview, because he's like in a billion, y'all. It's insane. He says he keeps referring to himself as a suspect. And they're like, you are not a suspect. You are a person of interest. So this man's the dumbest murderer I've ever heard I Literally, the biggest idiot. Like, he's just sitting out here and he's like, hey, I murdered her, but wait. I'm going to call the FBI. Then I'm going to be like, yeah, she's murdered. Then I'm going to be like, I'm a suspect. Right, so yeah, at, I'm a suspect. At, so at this point in time, him and his at the time of the uh, disappearance wife are separated. Okay. So as I said, they release him and they eventually say that he had been a person of interest for a long time in the case because of his intentional and like him inserting himself in this investigation so many times. Yeah, he's obsessed with it. So he claimed to have like knowledge of crime and stuff like this. So he wanted to like talk about it with them, whatever. So 
basically they go interview his wife and they're like, can you think back to 35 years ago? Can you think back and, you know, tell me what the deal was whenever you were, you know, what were you doing this day? Right. And she's like, no, we didn't leave until the 20, the evening of the 21st. So this is a whole day later. And then also a car had caught that they had in the back of their like property had like caught on fire randomly in the middle of the night that night and disappeared. Okay. And so she's like, and then no, we didn't ride in silence. He was obsessed with talking about and hearing about the Janelle Matthews case. So he knew about it. Yeah. The entire time. So he's just lied his ass off to the FBI. Not, it's not even like it's a police department at this point. You are lying. Yeah. Bold face. To the FBI. Yeah. To the FBI, dude. So then his ex-wife comes out and she's like, no, 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 no. I had no idea he told you that. That is not what happened at all. This is exactly what happened. So another thing, another thing that happened is on the way back, not only was he searching for the radio stations that were talking about her disappearance, he forced his wife to read him newspaper articles during the drive concerning the case. And then also... Right before they moved, because they moved to, like, Idaho or somewhere. And, you know, like, a few, few years after all this happened. And um, before they left, he dug up the entire backyard. The fuck? So I'm thinking her body was, was moved. There. Yeah, but that that's not anywhere. I, that's not even, like, I don't even know if that's true. That's just my thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. But another thing Why is. Else, Wendy, unless there was evidence, like, maybe, like. A right. teddy bear or something. So then a few months following Janelle's disappearance, Panky attended a church service. And there, a like one of the pastors claimed that he asked, um, you know, they asked him, like, are there any sins that are holding on to you, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, there was this one little girl that went missing. And, you know, it just weighs heavy on my heart, like. That just weighs heavy on my heart. I'm like, oh, okay, so a a murder, the disappearance of a little girl that you apparently had nothing to do with weighs heavy on your heart, but not the rape allegations, the harassment. Right, the kidnapping charges. Kidnapping charges, like what? Yeah, so anyways. In 2020, October of 2020, he was um, indicted on the first degree murder of Janelle Matthews. And just a fun fact about Steve Panke is that he actually ran for governor in Idaho twice. You're kidding. Yeah, in 2014 and in 2018. And then obviously in 2018 is when kind shit starts falling through. Basically, he just was... uh, It's always the politicians. It's always the politicians. Yeah, and... You know, we just went off. (laughs) We all just, we just went off mic for just a second and we're talking, showing a picture of him and Um, say what you were saying. So I was telling her, I was like, dude, like this, you know what this reminds me of? And I was like, it reminds me of the lovely bones. Cause what, what was her name again? Lucy. Lucy. She was taken around Christmas time. It was Mm -hmm. the winter time. She had her beanie on and the na- it was a neighbor, and right. he would watch her and her sister right. go home back and forth from mm-hmm. school. So we were just kind of talking about that. And, and then I- Wait, her sister was 16 too. Yeah. Yeah. And an athlete. 
go to and from soccer practice. And Lucy was like the singer, the crafty girl. So I don't know if there's a correlation, but we looked up the picture of yeah. Steve Pankey and George Harvey from The Lovely Bones. And my God, people, look it up right now because I, it's weird. It's weird that we just made that correlation and they look literally identical. Right. And this is, I mean, years after The Lovely Bones come out that it even is him. And, wait, and she was in the middle of a field. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, not in like a underground And I'm sure cool he cave. was watching her older sister, too, because that's what George Harvey did. Right. Oh. All the little girls. He loved the little oh, girls. Oh, no, Morgan. No. I think I just did something. I think you I did think something, too. I think they knew too. about the killer. Uh, conspiracy made a, theory? I think they knew about the killer in Hollywood, made a movie about it, and then the killer came out. I don't know. That's a terrible Christmas story. I hope I don't give you... Um, heart palpitations or anxiety now, <laughs> but um, on top of the fact that you're going to have to go be with some family that you might not want to be with. But anyways. Uh, anyways. Um, love you guys. Happy holidays. Happy Merry holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Well, you'll, you'll see us before New Year's. Yeah, you'll, you'll hear us. Hear us. We will you literally. won't see us, oh, but you the will week see after, us. you may see us. You may be serious. Anyways, guys, um, our, the winners of our giveaway, we hope that you enjoy your wine. Yes. My we favorite are is ours. the revolution. <laughs> the, revol- la, la, la. the revolutionary rosé and Taylor's is like the most bitter like wine ever. Both, so. of, the, both of the um red blends. red blends. So anyways, guys, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Like, comment, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, send in your creepy accounts. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Uh, Please send it. in your creepy accounts. Yeah, send in your creepy accounts. Please. Oh, we have a really good one, actually. Yeah, I do. We have a killer one coming for you guys. Anyways, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.